Welcome to episode number four of the Tiffinator Training Podcast Series. I'm Tiffany Gray and I'm your host. Today we're talking with two sports medicine experts who are more specifically associated with the Arizona Diamondbacks Major League Baseball team. Nate Friedman, who is a strength and conditioning specialist, and Damon Reel, who is a certified athletic trainer. In today's conversation, we're going to focus on injuries and treating injuries, but also prehabbing and rehabbing. Another topic we're going to be covering today is the importance of developing a rapport with players or with those who are injured and how this can be beneficial in the healing and rehabbing process. Enjoy. Welcome to our podcast today. I'm talking with Nate Friedman and Damon Real from Arizona Diamondbacks organization. They're part of the sports medicine team with the Diamondbacks. And, and for those of you who might not be aware, the Arizona Diamondbacks are Arizona's only Major League Baseball team, and we are so proud of them here in Arizona. But I want to let you introduce yourselves, Damon and Nate. Yeah, I'm, I'm Nate Friedman. I'm a minor league strength conditioning coach in the Diamondbacks organization, and this year will be my fourth year with the team, and I'll be in high A with uh, the Hillsborough Hops. Hey, and I'm Damon Real, uh, athletic trainer with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Also in my fourth season, and I'll be the athletic trainer for the Hillsborough Hops in high A uh, this year. One of the things I like about these guys is that in their roles, Nate is a strength and conditioning coach, and Damon is an athletic trainer. And with their roles, they work hand in hand. They, they do a lot of tandem work, so to speak. I know when Nate uh, is a little bit busy and he needs a hand, Damon jumps right in and, and helps out. And then also, Nate will jump in when Damon's having some stuff going on when, when he's busy, but only to a certain extent. But I know that, that Nate, you just got your um, massage therapy license and so now you can do more hands-on stuff and uh thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to chat on this podcast yeah absolutely appreciate the introduction tiffany and we're we're excited to be here oh i'm excited to have you and how are you doing you doing okay i know spring trainings uh you're getting ready it's right around the corner right yeah yeah i think i think we're in the calm before the storm right now spring training for the major league starts next week so. uh-huh I, th- I think we're enjoying the, the, the last few moments of, of some downtime we're going to have. Well, thank you for spending part of that downtime with us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So what I was thinking about was, uh, I know you all see a lot of injuries. And what are some of the most common injuries that you see? Uh, from an injury standpoint, baseball, we typically see upper extremity injuries. So I'd say the most common that we see are probably shoulder impingements, uh, rotator cuff strains and from the shoulder and elbow, we see a lot of flexor mass strains. And also the pretty common one that a lot of people hear about are Tommy John surgery. So UCL strains or sprains. Um, I, I'd say if I was going to categorize, you know, the injuries that we see most often, those are probably the four that, that come to mind. Okay. And, and what are the mechanisms of that usually? That's it's a great question, and then that could probably be uh, an hour-long podcast just talking about mechanisms of, of shoulder. I bet. Um, so I, I, the anatomy is tough in a shoulder, and and that's why it's so hard to evaluate and treat is because there can be so many root causes of what's going on with the injury, uh, tracing it back to 
uh, rib cage mechanics, uh, airflow in the rib cage, uh, scap positioning, scap strength, scap mobility, uh, shoulder stability, shoulder strength, um, pitching mechanics. Like there are just so many things to look at that if you're trying to look for a root cause or mechanism of injury. And then you also just have to look into the fact that throwing a baseball is just not a safe thing to do in general. Like there's no safe way to throw baseball 95 miles an hour. So innately, that's what we're going to deal with, um, with a lot of these injuries. I'd say that if I'm going to give you the most common mechanism that I think we see is they're high fatigue related injuries, uh, long baseball season. These guys are throwing every day. So you start having a rotator cuff that's weak and not stable. And that's when you can kind of start getting a lot of the shoulder pathologies um, because you're doing a very dynamic, difficult movement on muscles that are not functioning to their full capacity. Um, so you get a humerus that's kind of banging around in the glenoid and, and that's when you can start seeing a lot of different impingements and, uh, and, and elbows the same way. I mean, you start getting some fatigue of the forearm. Um, that's when you can see the muscle strains or the, the flexor mass is also what protects the UCL. It, it protects with some of that valgus force. And when that's fatigued, UCL can also be in a, in a disadvantageous position. So again, a lot, a lot of mechanisms. And, and that's what we try to tease out with our evaluations. Like we've got to figure out what's going on and it's, it's not always straightforward, but if, if I had to give you one thing, I think the fatigue factor plays into a big time. Yeah. And I can imagine that really happens. You know, that's, that's a huge factor, especially later on in the, in the season. And uh, for, for those of, for, for the listeners who may not know what a UCL is, can you uh, define that a little bit? Yeah, so you, you probably hear it a lot. Like if you turn on ESPN and a guy's having Tommy John surgery, that is a tear of some degree of your UCL, which is your ulnar collateral ligament. Um, and the best way I can describe it is if you're standing and your palms facing forward with your hands down to your sides, it's, it's the ligament that creates stability on the inside of your elbow. So, I mean, I'm trying not to use too many anatomical terms. The, you have the, the bump, which is um, humerus, and that it attaches then on the ulna on the medial side there. So the, the bigger bump of bone on your elbow is where it attaches and then distally on the ulna. Um, and again, it's, it's just the primary passive restraint of valgus stress on the elbow. Valgus stress being exactly what baseball pitchers go into when they go to layback. Uh, to deliver a pitch or just throw a ball across the diamond. So yeah, anatomically, that's where that sits. Okay. Well, I know prevention is a huge factor in what you guys try to do, right? Is that one of the tough things? Nate, tell us it. Cause I, I think that's part of what you do too, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, per- pertaining to shoulder health, elbow health, arm health in general, I mean, general upper body strength, is going to play, but more specifically, we have arm care protocols in place that we have with all of our pitchers and a slightly different one for our position players. But basically, we make sure a few times a week, depending on which days have the highest intensity throwing, we're going to do some kind of arm care routine, whether it's with weights or with bands that attack different planes of motion, different uh, shoulder scap positioning, different elbow positionings that just challenge them in, in all planes of motion and, and help build strength and stability there. So uh, I don't like to say we can prevent injuries with that, but we might be able to mitigate them or maybe lessen the severity. 
putting in some work on the front end. So in the weight room, that's kind of where we aided that process is to make sure that a few times a week we can have some specific exercises geared towards strengthening the muscles that are going to take the brunt of the force and the throwing motion. Okay. And so what do you all do? Let's say at the beginning of the season, do you, uh, I know you work with players and, and what kind of assessments do you do? Let's say at the beginning of the season to maybe, um, I don't know if there are, there are things that you can kind of screen for any pre, you know, some weaknesses or, or things that you might identify that later in the season, given all of the dynamics, the, you know, obviously the position um, of the player, you know, what position they play and, and also um, the fatigue factor and those things that they're normally face. What kind of things do you do for assessment? Yeah, I, I'd say in terms of assessment at the beginning of the season, what we typically look at is some, some basic range of motion assessments. Because um, to play on to what Nate was saying, I mean, strength is a huge factor, and that's probably the, the, you know, the biggest factor that we can, you know, work on with the players to help with prevention. But I also think range of motion is a big one, too. That Throughout the season, that changes. Like, guys may lose, you know, 20, 30 degrees of internal rotation on their throwing arm, and that's a massive injury-predicting uh, you know, mechanism. So at the beginning of the season, when guys come in for spring training, uh, we, I'd say the big ones we look at are shoulder range of motion, hip range of motion. And we're also interested in pelvic positioning too. And um, either in all three planes, but, you know, for simplicity in the sagittal planes, we look at somebody anteriorly or posteriorly tilted. Um, so th those are the big things that we look at because those can change throughout the season. If a, if a guy's losing, hip motion or losing shoulder motion or, or in a different pelvic position, then that's something we have to address because the force has to go somewhere. So the, the, the strong muscles help, but I mean, having those strong muscles in a good position and giving them full range of motions, it, it's going to give these guys a bit, the best chance to stay healthy through a season. That's great. And, and do you assess them at different points in the, uh, in the season or do you when they come in, maybe they've, you know, they're complaining about certain pains or at what point do you, do you recognize, oh yeah, they're losing range of motion, just more of a symptom presentation? Yeah. So it's multifactorial. So a lot of it is watching with your eyes and, and maybe the way they move in the weight room with me or kind of warming up out on the field before they play that that could be part of it. Part of it's having a good relationship with the athlete and communicate some, some symptoms he's having to you and you can do a little mini screen on him and, and kind of tease out where these, these symptoms are, are coming from. What's the root of the problem. So it's a pretty fluid process. I think a general understanding of look at over the course of the season, these guys, these numbers that we look at are going to shift good or bad, they're going to shift just because of the nature of the sport, the travel, the stress, all the different demands on their body. So just always using your eyes as, as your biggest tool, communicating between myself and Damon to see, because we see different things, whether guys are in the weight room, the training room, they might tell me something different than Damon, or they might present a different way in the training room than they do in the weight room. So just everybody communicating openly and being on the same page will help mitigate some of the things that'll happen. But in terms of assessments, it's, yeah, we have the entry one. And at any point during the season when stuff starts going on, we can have these mini assessments at any time with the player. And then 
as part of our standard protocol, we'll have one at the end of the season as well, just to kind of see formally, hey, this is where you started. This is where you finished. Um, so it's just about, honestly, it comes back to communication and just trusting your eyes and, and just keeping a close watch over the players. Well, that, that reminds me of, uh, I know that you've spoken before about building the, the relationships with the, the players. Can you uh, talk a little about, gosh, I know that you've, you know, you hear so much when you develop that rapport and that relationship, how, how important, how, how much, uh, how much do you focus on, on that or, or, or what level of importance is that? To me, it's the most important thing. I, I, I don't think you can get much, much past the superficial level of, of helping these guys if you don't have a deep relationship with them. And for me, it just starts with building a relationship on a human level, getting to know them, getting to know about their likes, their dislikes, their family, their friends, their interests. Because the more you do that, the more the guys are going to realize that they can take their walls down and they can trust you and that you're there to, to help them and you have their best interests in mind. You're not trying to be a guy who says, Hey, I'm going to use this player to, I'm going to get him to do this. And he's going to throw a hundred and I'm going to take credit and I'm going to you know, move up the ranks. It can't be about that. You have to develop a relationship with them where they understand that, Hey, Nate cares about me as a person, whether I'm good at baseball, bad at baseball, throw nine innings or get knocked out in the first, Nate's still going to be there for me. He's not going to judge me and he's going to help me through anything that I have going on. So if you can get to a space like that with a player and it's, you have 25 guys and it's, you're not going to have that relationship with all of them. But if you can make it a priority and make that the gold standard to connect with these guys at a deep level, anything you give them is going to help. They're going to, they're going to do better with the things that you give them because they believe in you and they trust you as opposed to if they kind of have their walls up and I give them something to do in the weight room, you know, there's a chance that the intent might not be there. They might go through the motions or say, I'll do it. I don't really believe in it, but I'll do it to check a box. Again, you're not going to make much progress with them on a deeper level. So for me, it's, it's probably the most important aspect of our job because it really makes your job a lot easier if you're able to have these relationships and everybody's on the same page. Yeah, that's, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think that is so important. And uh, have you all had any, any uh, players who are a little tougher to, to kind of build that, that relationship with? And For if sure. you have, what kinds of strategies did you use? For sure, yeah. It's, it's, you're going to have a bunch of guys that are resistant. Resistance to change, resistance to new ideas, resistance to ideas that are different to theirs. And For me, it just comes back to, to if, if it's an escalated incident or if there's you know some hostility or whatever feelings or emotions are there, I, I just try to find a time where we can diffuse those or or, or, or you know, shift the conversation to something lighter. So for me, if, if, if I'm having trouble with an athlete, I'm going to start, I'm going to go back to the ground floor. I'm going to, you know, while keeping his health best interest in mind, I'm going to just play a more general conversation, more general questions and do a lot of active listening with them, get to know them, have them open up without me having a pre-prescribed response. So the more you do that, you'll see guys' walls start to come down. If, if you slowly take an interest in them and why it is they do what they do or, or don't do what they don't do, I think over time, hopefully, the relationship will improve and you can get them to buy in a little bit more. But, man, with those players, if you come in hot and try to push your agenda without getting to know them and listen to them and their needs, it's, uh, it's a tough time. So it's really no different than – I treat everybody the same. It's just some people are easier 
you know, more willing to jump into a, an open relationship than others. But the steps are all the same. Start on the ground floor and work your way up from there. Yeah, uh, Nate, do you, or Damon, do you have anything to jump in on that when it comes to the training room? Yeah, I, I'd say it's the same thing. It's you got to care about these guys more than you know what they are as a baseball player. Um, and, and you know, people can tell when you're authentic and care about them versus trying to push an agenda or push something to get done on them. So, I mean, I, I, you just got to be real. You got to care about them because they're going to sniff it out if you're not. And, and Nate totally alluded to it, just patience. Some guys you're going to have, you know, an instant connection with, you know, whether it's personality connection or just, you know, the walls aren't as high. But, you know, for the ones that are a challenge and, you know, could be for numerous reasons, I think it's just it's patience and, you know, just being there for them. And, and like Nate kept saying, not having an agenda, just trying to, to have their best interests in mind and, and, and take care of them the best you can. That sounds great. And it sounds like you all are really able to do that. Um, with the majority of the players. And I know there are always going to be those exceptions. And if we were to take, I'm wondering if we could take any type of injury. And since you said that Tommy John is typically the most common, we'll say most common injury you see, can you take us through, um, obviously, what it would look like on the field to uh, going, you know, Nate, coming to you and how you both work together and how you develop the exercise prescription. I know you have protocols in place, but can you take us through that process of how you might, what you would look at the, you know, the, the rehab, the, the exercise prescription and developing that strength back and then getting the player back on the field. Can you kind of take us through that? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in and start on this one. Because from a medical standpoint, like you said, there, there's a protocol that we follow um, that has specific timelines of, you know, this guy can't sweat for this. It starts off basically, this guy can't sweat for this many weeks because he has to wait to get his stitches out or wait for the wound to heal, um, which totally limits his ability to do any kind of conditioning or work in the weight room because he can't break a sweat. Um, and it really starts from the ground floor there. And the biggest things from the training room from the get-go is when a guy has a Tommy John surgery, we have to get full motion back in his elbow. And you really have a limited time to do that because at some point you're going to have permanent changes start to be made and scar tissue laid down. And if you really don't address that range of motion from the very beginning, there's a chance that a guy may lose it. Um, and, and that's not necessarily something from a rehab standpoint you want to have. Because, uh, again, lacking range of motion or lack of elbow extension could be a future injury predictor. So we really got to do our best job to, to make sure that we have that full range of motion. And early on, there's not a whole lot you can do with the elbow outside of range of motion just because there's a lot of tissue damage. And the play is don't damage it and let it heal, like the, from the surgery that the doctor did. But I'd say what we really, really try to focus on is we get – proximal the elbow is a very distal joint we, we work proximal so what changes can we make at the rib cage that's going to affect scapular motion shoulder motion uh potential pitching mechanics or like elbow stress um we work on shoulder range motion shoulder strengthening uh scap mobility scap strength so early on in the rehab protocol it's totally like what can we address proximally 
the distal joint's got to heal and it's going to do it on its own. We're going to make sure it has good range of motion. Um, but, but the early focus is really on that. When you get to a certain week, you can start strengthening the, the tissues, you know, some basic elbow strengthening, uh, you know, flexion, extension, pronation, supination, ulnar and radial deviation, and, and start working the flexor mass and just the elbow joint in general to, to you know, increase its strength. While you're still working on the same changes you're trying to make at the proximal joints. And the big thing that comes is after a couple of weeks when the, when the wound heals, they can get back in the weight room, do some conditioning, you know, maybe do some like weight vest, lower body type work where there's no stress on their arm. And then they get to a certain week where they can start to hold weights again. And that's really when the weight room becomes a huge factor because that that's when you're trying to change movement patterns. Uh, you know, really addressing the proximal issues, whether it be the hips, the pelvis, the rib cage, shoulder. Um, and you, you can really make some, some big changes and some, some big strides with them then. So I, I think that's kind of when Nate takes over and, and, and does a lot of the work with them. Yeah, yeah, Damon hit the nail on the head there. I too much to add to that. It's, we kind of go by the playbook once, once they're in the weight room. It's just it's communicating with Damon and the, the training staff to see what they can and can't do and trying to cater their exercise program to correct some flaws in their movement patterns that may or may not have contributed to the injury. But, yeah, it's just using that time to our advantage. If we can't get better at throwing the baseball, we can get better at other things. So um, it looks different for everybody, but that's kind of our general thought process behind that. Okay. And, and how long does it typically take to get the player? I, and I know it's very individualized, but, you know, in terms of – uh, general time, what's the back on the field timeline look like? Yeah, it, it, it does depend on a lot of factors. Um, certain surgeons have different protocols and, you know, certain, you know, teams or organizations do different things. But I'd say just a real, real general rule of thumb is it's a 12 to 16 month uh, rehab to, to 100% return to play. Wow, that's quite, quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you have a long period of time where you're not throwing a baseball at all because you have to let that joint heal. Because when you throw a baseball, the UCL is, is massively stressed. So you, you really got to give it plenty of time uh, to take and to heal. So you're in a really good spot when you start a throwing progression. And then when you go that long without throwing, it's, it's, it's a longer throwing progression to get them back. You don't want to spike their workload too early. So um, it's, it's, it, it's, it's tough. Um, but, you know, in, in, in baseball, we go through so many of them that I think that the teams have gotten really good at how they handle them and really, really pinpoint. So the, the guys usually do pretty well coming out the back end of them because we, we have we have a pretty good understanding of what it takes early rehab, what it takes in the weight room, and a real, real foundational return to play throwing progression. It, it, it's, it's time consuming. It's tough. It's mentally draining. The guys, you know, I would struggle, you know, at some point during the rehab, but um, we, we do a pretty good job taking care of them. Oh, that's great. I, yeah, I knew you, I knew you would. I mean, I know you guys well enough that you, you always do a stellar job. And, you know, I was thinking, and as you were talking, I was wondering how does the, uh, uh, you know, obviously when, when you have that length of a recovery period, uh, going through the, the different steps and, and protecting that joint and then strengthening and getting back to the field. How do players, how do you work with players when I'm sure they're frustrated and, and you know, they want to get back out there and they're, they want to heal faster. How do you, 
you know, how do you work with them and, and keep them going and positive? Yeah, I, th I think you have to give them many goals throughout the process to that they know we're going to help them heal and make them better baseball players, whether it be, you know, you could, you could frame it as, Hey, you know, you can't pitch and this is unfortunately you don't want to be here, but this is a chance that maybe you can put on 10 or 15 pounds of muscle in the weight room, you know, and then when you get back on the mound, you're going to be safer. And, you know, maybe the fastball plays a little more, maybe you're, you're a little bit better pitcher because of what you did here. So the, the, or, you know, the other end of the spectrum, a guy needs to maybe lose a few pounds. Like, Hey, here's an amazing opportunity where that can be the focus. The biggest thing is you, you got you got to frame it as the guys can get better. They're not lame ducks sitting in the training room and they can't do anything. Yeah. It's it's got to be framed in a way of like, hey, you don't want to be here. This is unfortunate. And we don't want you to be here either. But this is the situation we have. This is what we got to deal with. And let's find a way to make, make you better the next 12 to 16 months. Yeah, that's a you know, that's a, a great way to do it. And I you mentioned many goals. And I know many goals can really help people get focused. You know, they're focused on, okay, I've got to hit this goal or I want to hit this goal. Oh, made it. So now it's time to move on to the next one. So I really like that because I think a lot of times people hear, yeah, you're not going to be back out there for 14 to 16 or however long months. And I think that can be overwhelming, overwhelming especially when, it's your job and it's your passion. And there's always that thought of what if I can't get back? Am I done? Yeah, that that that's absolutely a struggle. Is it's it's in, in our setting in professional baseball, it's the guys' livelihoods. Oh yeah. And they, they want to make it to the big leagues or they've made it there and they want to stay there. And it's it's a competitive business. And I, I understand completely the mental stress and the mental struggle with that. So that, that is definitely conversations that come up and, you know, again, just trying to be like a sounding board for him. You know, I'm, I'm just here for you. I'm, I understand the, I know a lot of the strength coaches and trainers do a great job and just having those relationships and having those conversations. And we also have a mental skills department as well, which is they're amazing at, you know, just communicating with the guys and, and really getting deep and, and, and helping them through the mental battles during rehab. Yeah, that's great. And I'm so glad to hear they have that mental skills portion of it because it's it's definitely needed. I mean, even when they, you know, when they move on or let's say they're done with baseball, they still have those skills to deal with life. Right. And that's that's you know what it's about foundationally, anyway. So that's are there any other? I know we had talked about knees real quickly. Um before we came onto the podcast, you, what kind of knee injuries do you all see? Or, or do you see knee injuries all that much? Not a ton. Um, way less so than a sport like a basketball or a football or, or soccer. Because a lot of those sports, so the, the typical mechanism for a knee injury is going to be some kind of twisting or when you're trying to cut and your knee you know, buckles or, or twists a certain way that it's not supposed to. And the nature of baseball is there's less of those movements versus basketball, football, uh, soccer. So we, we do occasionally, though. I mean, same, same thing you'd see in any sports, uh, ACLs, MCLs. We, we've had guys tear a meniscus, which is, is, is purely just a, like a rotational type mechanism. Um, so we, we have those. I wouldn't say they're the most common thing that we deal with, but, um, yeah, they, they happen for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess I, football definitely gets a lot, and so does basketball. Yeah. Just strictly by the nature of the, the sport. Oh, and so do, you know, falling off ladders and jumping off when you shouldn't. I, I don't know who would do something like that, but <laughs> somebody who thinks they're still in their 20s instead of a little bit older. <laughs> well guys i want to thank you for taking time i know this is a real busy time and i know it's been unusual the last year has been crazy and unusual and something we've never navigated but i want to thank you for taking the time out and talking to us i'm hoping at some point we can uh, revisit this and and talk about some other aspects but is there anything that you would like to, do you have any words of wisdom to kind of leave us with? I got one thought here and I know it's going to fire up Nate too when I say it, but uh, master the basics. I mean, in the, in the field that you're in and the setting you're in, sometimes the coursework and, you know, the, the basic foundational anatomy and basic exercises, you know, may not seem sexy or fun, but man, those are, a, that they're foundational and basic for a reason because they work. And B, that's where everything gets built on. So I'd say don't, don't rush to get fancy. It's, it's basic. It's foundational. Um, the stuff you're learning now matters. So I, I'd say don't, don't be in a rush to get past that. Re really, really master that stuff. Yeah, I really like that. And Nate, do you have anything? No, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I guess play, playing off of that is just don't be concerned with – what other people are doing, just put your head down and, and work on what you need to improve on. So everybody's going to be at a different spot in life and in, in, in their careers. And it's just look at, be able to acknowledge what others are doing, but at the end of the day, you're on your own path and, and the only person you should measure yourself against is yourself. So um, with that being said, just do that all while mastering the basics. That sounds great. And it's, it's totally in line with how you guys operate. You know, mastering those basics, build that foundation, and then go from there. And then the last thing is I know you all are really, uh, you're always learning. You're always trying to learn something new. Is there anything that you're learning now or any books that, that you can recommend that you're reading? I mean, except for like, I don't know, cellular biology. That might not <laughs> be the most interesting. Uh just because it's on my bookshelf right now, I'm, I'm actually rereading a book called Extreme Ownership, and uh, it's a pretty good leadership and, and, and mindset book that I think every so often, if you haven't read it, to read it and then, then to reread it. So um, just because it's fresh in my mind right now, I think that's a good one that, that anybody can resonate with and, and help make them better. That sounds good. How about you, Nate? Damon? Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll stick with the book theme here. One I read not too long ago uh, by John Maxwell, Winning with People. I, I totally going with the communication uh, theme. It, it's just a really good foundational, basic communication book that are easy principles that anybody can apply. So a, a really good read that I recommend. Well, they sound great. I'm going to have to check those out myself. Absolutely. Oh. Guys, hey, thank you so much for taking this time and good luck. I hope that, uh, I, I hope, Damon, I hope you don't get many injuries this year. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I hope this is a very boring year for you. And same with you, Nate. I hope you're not having to, to uh, help with 
any of Damon's injuries helping him rehab. Nope. I'm just going to stay in the weight room. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. We're stay in a bad spot for me. He has to help with rehab. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back here again soon. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any questions, be certain to reach out to me. You'll find my contact information on the syllabus.